Welcome to episode 426 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Right, team, welcome along to episode 426 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Isles. How you going, mate? Man, you know, it's really odd. What's really odd, John? I feel remarkably similar to how I did last week, and I'm even wearing the same clothes. Uh, well, I'm slightly concerned you always wear the same clothes, actually. Yeah. You haven't even changed undies, have you? No. No, it's slightly concerning. The reason is we're doing back-to-back team. Yeah. John, I may be away, I may not be. And I'm getting ready for Epic Camp, so I'm a little busy as well. So what we did is we recorded two weeks' shows back-to-back, and so we've actually recorded this week's show last week. Yes. But in your world, it's this week. It's going to be top quality as always. Magic of podcasting. Uh, guys, and this uh, I'm Talk is proudly brought to you by... Coffeesofhawaii.com. The world's best coffee, simple as that. Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. And extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. Okay, in this week's show, it's a bit of a different show because we have kind of pre-done it two weeks ahead of time. We've got uh, some news. We've got a couple interviews. We have Sue Aquila from Endurance Corner. It's going to talk us through... Getting over a rather nasty bike crash and some of the strategies she's used that hopefully you guys can learn a little bit from. It's something we've never really addressed, is it? The whole idea of, you know, because we, we, accidents happen. They do. And often put us off track with our training. And we've never really kind of sat down and talked about that. So we talked to her and then we've also got a bit of a world champ. We have. We've got Miranda Carfrey. And we're going to find out how fast she thinks she can do a marathon. Richard Swan. Listen, that one, mate. She's going to say I do a two twenty. That's my prediction. Okay, news. So first of all, we're, we're going to talk about the upcoming races, and we've got a few races happening. We have got a lot of races coming up this weekend. A lot, Bevan. A lot. If we want to go non Ironman first, we will go non Ironman. Okay. So we have got Embra Man, which we're going to focus on a little bit in the moment because they have. Uh, it's a long-standing race that does not get enough attention, and uh, I've been there. It's incredible. We're going to give that a, it's bit a hard race too, moment. isn't it? Oh insanely hard we've got the team 226 in Finland we've got the Midnight Man which you go through through the night um, oh really so race. what time does it start if you go, is there a website um, you could go, go to k226.com yeah, well. and there'll be a link there the Polska Man in Poland we've got Hits Waconia we've got the UK Ultimate the Mart Harolgi Memorial in Estonia and the peasant man, the big good one for you, Bevan. The, uh, <laughs> Thanks. Thanks a lot. <laughs> the I Man Two Two Six in Ireland. So a huge amount of races coming up this weekend. But I did want to focus on a couple in particular. Firstly, Ember Man. This race is legendary, and it's legendary on many fronts. One of them that is awesome is their prize money is ridiculously high, given they don't really get any exposure. So. Oh, typical page, there we go, uh, 25,000 euros for the male winner, which is, relative to other races, a lot, and it's a really nice, even How do they find it then, John? Is it just local sponsors? Like uh, I think it's mainly local local government, and, local yeah. government yep. rather, than, um, rather than sponsors. So 25,000 euros first, 15 second, 11,000 third, 9,000, 8,000, 5,000. So a nice breakdown. So, I mean, if, if you know, Sometimes these big races are really top-heavy. First place takes a huge amount, and then it drops off really quickly. But at this race, you know, you're still taking home 5000 um, for the scratch race. Now, 
The one thing that's perhaps that's not so good with this race is not even prize money for the guys and girls. Only oh, 18,000 for the girls and it drops down to 1,000. That being said, that scratch race is, the, that's a, a scratch yep. prize money. So if the girls were to get in the top six, they'd take home a bit more money. Okay. But that's a pretty big challenge. Yep. So uh, awesome on the prize money front, except for it's not equal prize money. The course, as Bevan alluded to before, is ridiculously hard. Uh, you go over a number of mountain passes. We rode over part of the course on Epic Camp a few years ago. We actually did the Olympic distance race there, which was bloody challenging as well but you go over it's Col d'Azouard and you have a couple of other um, climbs in there as well so you're out there for an awfully long time it has over 3,000 meters of elevation climb uh, on the bike roads 184 kilometers long and it is uh, just pulling out 3,200 meters of elevation gain so you have a small a small ish climb which takes you up over 1200 meters and you start at uh, 532 initially you come down off that one and then you go up the cold desert which is 2350 meters you come down the other side of that but you do have uh, a number of kickers there and then at the end you go back up to 1150 meters so insanely difficult bike course and the pros deserve every scent they earn there it's also a very long-standing race good old uh, wikipedia comes to the rescue here it must be true it must be true if it's on wikipedia and they've gone back on somebody's put the effort in there to basically document all the champions so 1984 was the first year the race was held so it's 30 years this year so it's 30 years wow. so this year we've had it must have been a big year i mean you had canada has well, got what, their what year was the tv you thought what, what year was abc was it 83 could have been yeah so then that must have been when everyone was like oh i need to do one of these races yeah. Emberman's 84, we had Ironman New Zealand having its 30th anniversary, you had uh, Canada I think was having their 30th maybe, Japan is a strong man or something like that in Japan that was having their 30th, um, maybe Australia as well I think was around about then as well, so an awful lot going on, you scroll through there you've got some absolute legends <coughs> there, Dirk, Dirk Ashmanite won 86, the only American to ever win it was Scott Molina in 1991. Was the only American to win it? Yep, yep, definitely was from oh. according to Wikipedia where it must be true. Yves Cordier, the great Frenchman who had uh, lots of battles down in Nice, he won it multiple times. Um, then you've had a lot of the, the Spanish sort of taking over. You had Felix Ribeiro Martinez win it for four years. Um, Harvey Foire from France take it out. Xavier Lafloc, and then in recent times, uh, the four of the last five editions have been taken out by Marcel Zamora Perez. And I think 2011 was the year that I think we were there for Epic Camp, and he got disqualified that year. Oh, really? For taking off his, he had a bike vest on the bike, and he took it off and dropped it and it got up. disqualified. Oh, wow. Gutted. And he finished so as well. That was what <laughs> was even worse. He carried on and finished. Oh, that broke Still got disqualified. On the girls' side of things, um, we've had a pretty big French domination. You've had Bella Bayless in there a couple of times. She's won it in 202, 208, 209. Uh, current course record holder is Janine Colong, who took it out last year in 10 hours 56. Um, on the guys' side of things, the current fastest time is 9 hours and 34 minutes. So it is a very slow day at the office, very tough day at the office, and a race that was on my hit list to do one day. Okay, so just going back to Julie Moss. So for those who don't know who I'm, I'm sure a lot of people do, well, they don't really sell their stories much nowadays, do they? No, the crawl. Yeah, so, you know, 
Ironman was just very much a niche sport and what really kind of got the first attention for it was an article in Sports Illustrated and that was about the first Ironman race and it kind of you know, planted the seed for a lot of people with the idea of doing this race. And then it was in 1982. So in February 1982, 21st of February, uh, Ironman race leader Julie Moss collapses just 440 yards from the finish of an Ironman marathon run. She struggled to her feet and wobbled to within 100 yards of the finish where she again collapsed. She started to crawl but was passed by Kathy, uh, Kathleen McCartney with only 10 yards from the finish line and that was an iconic moment in our sport really wasn't oh, it totally and uh from there you know you just saw this kind of massive well I wouldn't say the explosion to what it is now but a massive explosion at that time from where it was you say that that moment Rick and Dick Hoyt and the Iron War I would say those yeah. are the three moments for for Iron Man that have um, made the sport so if we go back to Midnight Man so it starts at 6 p.m and the cutoff time is 8 eight in the morning it's a lot of a bit of a lap course so yep. you're doing um a four lap swim a 20 lap bike and i think it's like an eight lap run mm-hmm. and uh, it's pretty warm they're saying the water temperature is 23 degrees so it's no yeah, I, swim. I had an athlete do it a, a i'm not sure if they're swimming in a pool or no it's late it's i'm pretty sure it's the lake okay. swim yep. I th- oh maybe i'm wrong on that one but anyway i had an athlete do it a few years ago and you're basically biking on a sort of a dual carriageway and it just bucketed with rain the whole oh, time really? like full-on massive puddles um i kind of like i do like the appeal of doing something like that at night i yeah. think it'd be kind of different what's well, it you'd have to plan your sleep leading up to it you like you'd have mm. to train that side of things but i just think it, there's something about the stillness of have you ever trained in the middle of the night Oh, well, I did uh, four, oh, yeah, four right. o'clock m- yeah. morning run the other day. There's something special about that time of day, yeah, eh? That's great. You know, the world's your own, if you know what I mean? Except when the boy races come hurtling through, there was quite a few boy races out there at four o'clock in the morning. Oh, was there? Yeah. I suppose they're night. They're coming in from their Friday night out, mate. Yes. You know, share the world. Yeah. Okay, uh, what else we've got, Jumbo? So we've also got uh, Kalmar, Ironman Kalmar in Sweden. And the, the, obviously all the pro fields at this stage of the game are a little bit diluted with most people qualifying for or going to, getting ready for Kona. Of re- in real interest, though, in this race is you have um, Leander Cave entered. Oh, and wow. we know that she did Nice and lost her number or yeah. just totally cocked that up so she's got to validate so it'll be interesting to see if she does do Pete Jacobs and, and Miranda Carfrey and just validates if she races this um, yeah, it's, it's obviously getting pretty close to Kona yeah. she'll be um, somewhat yeah, I mean, you'd imagine she'd be somewhat tired now, do you think she's a dark horse who could pull off because oh. you know since her Kona win it has been a bit up and down and she's been kind of hit with injury quite hard at times um, i got to say no I mean she hasn't shown it Anything, yeah, she really has energy. So, you don't think she could just you know validate here and still rock up and have a great Kona? Well, she could, she's got the ability, to yeah, be she's there, pedigree. But she hasn't shown anything because so. whereas when she won Kona leading into Kona, she was she pretty was dominant, wasn't she? yeah, she was winning everything, wasn't she? Yeah, so Leander Cave is, is um, well, it would be the race favorite, but you don't know how much effort she's going to put on. You've got Erica Chalmore in there as well, and uh, then the rest of the field looks fairly wide open. On the guys' side of things, really not many names that I recognise there. Um, but one that I do is this guy Horst Reichel from Germany. That's a great I, name. <laughs> I was watching uh, some footage of a 70.3, I think it was 70.3 Mallorca, and he just absolutely spanked some of the best pros in the business. I've never heard of him before. But you had uh, Andreas Raylert there, you had Nico Lanos, um, Bart Arnotts, and a few other guys. And this guy just absolutely killed them so we're interesting to see what he can do over the iron distance you got luke dragster in there as well making a bit of a return to the pro ranks haven't heard of him in a while have we no and uh then yeah again like the girls the rest of the field is wide open got to give the 
the, these guys, the European races seem to have their pro fields a lot easier to, to find. We also do have um, the North American Ironman Championships, which are being held for the last time in Mont Blanc. If you listened to last week's show, you'll know they're moving off to Texas, Texas yep. next year. And again, you know, you're going to see a slightly diluted field. There will be good prize money, good points on offer. Um, so you've got Luke Bell, who's seeded number one. You've got Daniel Hawksworth, who's seeded number three. But really, the probably the most interesting thing for me that I was saying to Bevan before is Andreas Raylert is seeded number two for this race. And, you know. He's a bit like Leander Cave. He hasn't had a great year. But he is, he, he's got to do more than validate. He's got very, very few points. Uh, so, but if he wins this, he'll probably have enough to get in so yeah, because it's a championship race we'll have a lot of points and but the, yeah but point, he's got to win it doesn't he points and prize money yeah. yes so be really interesting he has also been battling with injuries but you know maybe it's a slightly different approach to Kona might work for him who knows but again he's got the pedigree and the ability to win Kona whether he can do it is another thing so it's a you know, it should be a good, good, interesting race. You've got Christian Brader in there. You've got um, Rich, Richie Cunningham. Um, so a number of guys. I wonder if we'll be doing it after out. doing Boulder a couple of weeks ago. Good point. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he turns TJ up. TJ Tolkson will no doubt go out there. Jason Shortis. Bank it on the bike, and Jason Shortis will probably run a 2.45. I thought he retired. Well, this shows what I know. Um, you should know these things, Bevan. I know, I should know everything. Um, and on the girls' side of things. Girls. They, uh, whilst I'm... They do not list the pros as easily to find. You've got to scroll and scroll and scroll. Yeah, they've kind of split it up, haven't go they? On, go through those uh, 60 if, sixty year old girls. Oh, goodness, Bevan. Okay, well, I'll try to beat you. Who's going to win? Who's going to okay. win? Oh, oh, start, oh, oh, oh. Start your engine. And I've got it. Got it? Yep. Who are you We've picking? We've got Laura Bennett. Laura Bennett again. She did Boulder, so we're thinking maybe not. Maybe not. We've got and her first Ironman experience on the run, where she ran a three forty four. When she is a very good runner, uh, probably don't doesn't endear herself. But Rebecca Keat, who knows? Is down. Keat, yep. Sure. Amy Marsh. Mm-hmm. Um, no one else I really noticed. Sarah Graves. Sarah, yeah. Sarah Gross and Mel Burke, who had a really good. Iron Man recently as well, the Kiwis. So go the Kiwis. Heather, yeah. Heather Jackson also. And so all these guys. Are it's such a good move. They've moved it to Texas, isn't it? Because this isn't a championship field. No, and Dan- Daniela Reef, who won Iron Man Switzerland, is also down there. So we've got to remember these. all these points are points for this year. As soon as we get past this next couple of Ironmans, it then, then it starts year. accumulating. Then you get guys are going, right, I want to do Kona for next year, start accumulating. And, but next year that won't happen. It won't. Because there'll be non-points races in America. <laughs> okay. Um, it's our news. It's our week. news for the week. Not much news happening because we don't even know what's happened this week. Sponsor. Athlinks.com. Yes. Last week we did a bit of competitor analysis on uh, who's going to be in my 35 to 39 age group in Kona. This week we're going to have a look at Ironman Montremblanc and who was the Athlink's best finishes last year. Last year, Luke Bell won the race okay. in 8.26.06. Was it championship last year? I believe it was. Okay. Yes, it was. And Brandon Marsh was second place. Brandon Marsh is a, an Athlink's dude. So we can go and check out all Brandon's um, results on here so you can see you know, how consistent these pros are. He's got a PV of 8.30, fastest Olympics, 149. I was 16.05 for 5K. I would have thought he'd be a bit quicker than that. Maybe he hasn't cr- gone out there and cranked it. And he hasn't done a marathon, but he's done a 111 half. Mm-hmm. So that, well, last week we, we were talking about an, an age group guy in my age group who had 15 minutes for a 5K and I think 33 flat for a 10K and a 110 yeah. um, 
half marathons. So it's great. You can go in here, Brandon, you can get at all his results. You can also see where you sit within it. So let's say you do a 33-minute 10K, or you know within all of Athlink's results, which is millions of results, mm. you are in the top 3.7 results of all all your, all your people who have done that distance. So shows you're pretty legendary. Sam Guide was racing there last year, so he's using a different technique to get to kind of this year. Mm. He did Ironman Germany. Maybe this is going to completely derail him for... Yes, I think he's heard you're turning up and he's going, oh. He got checked last year. Did Mary, Mary Beth Alice took him out. Oh well, by five minutes. Mary Beth Alice is pretty legendary. It's hope for me yet. She only he only outrode her by five minutes. Maybe it was strategic racing. This guy's pretty good. Yes. So then also, so on the guys side of things, our top athletes finishes at Ironman Montremblant last year was Brandon Marsh, followed by actually another by unknown racer and also Joseph Major. On the girls side of things, we had. Dun, dun, dun. Mary Beth Alice is not on Athlinks. Mary Beth, why aren't you on Athlinks? This guy we were looking at, the guy who got second, he's done really well. Like he started Ironman in 2000, and his first result was 2001. He did Florida, he did 10 and a half. Yes. And then he went to World Champs, did 11 hours in 2002. And he's just progressively got better to the point where he's racing as a pro and got second. That's pretty cool. Nice. Yeah, it's awesome. Okay, athlinks.com. On the girls' oh. side of things, our fastest athlinks finisher was Darby Roberts, who was in ninth place overall. Bridget Polik in 13th, and Maggie Arush in 15th. So nice work, all you guys. Athlinks.com, check it out. John, we can't do this this week's discussion because we haven't had a week in between. So we again, the nutrition advice discussion is what we're looking at for this week. So we'll do this week's discussion next time. Yes. So before we... Online. Okay, we're, we're going to go to Sue's interview right now. So we've got Sue Aquila. Aquila? Aquila. F-E woman. And uh, yes, and you'll find out about that in a second because I ask a really brilliant question as I always do. Mm-hmm. And uh, here's Sue on the show. Righty-ho. Uh, this week, thanks to Endurance Corner, we have uh, F.E. Woman, a.k.a. Sue Aquila, back on the show. So welcome back, Sue. Thank you so much to have me. It's a great day. Our own, as you know, our own Justin Dara, resident pro and owner of Endurance Corner, won Ironman Boulder yesterday. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Nice. We're going to be talking to him a little bit later on, catching up with him. So, um, so what does the FE stand for? Iron. Yes. Oh, okay. Periodic table. I went to a pub quiz the other night and they had the periodic table. I didn't get many of the answers on that one. That's okay. You just got to know the FE part. Okay. Okay. So if you want to check in with Sue at any stage, you can see some of what we're going to discuss today on fewoman.com and also endurancecorner.com. She's a regular contributor on there. So, Sue, you've been in the wars. I have been in the wars and come out the other side. So it was a, it's been a terrific season of uh, ups and challenges. So t- t- have you you qualified for Kona early in the season? I did. I uh, uh, competed at Ironman Texas and won my age group and set the course record for my age group there. Oh, nice. So um, we've got uh, by the time when this interview comes out, it'll be about sixty days or so to Kona, and you had a bit of a mishap that we're going to talk through today um, on your bike, and and you've got some ideas for other people, and I had to go through similar stuff myself when I was um, in my build up for for Taupo. It wasn't quite as bad as what you've experienced, but um, yeah, tell us about what happened and uh, why you're in the wars, and then we'll sort of move on <laughs> to some 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 lessons you've learned from it. 
great. Uh, I made a poor choice. So uh, I laugh about uh, I had an amputation of my hubris. So uh, the cloak of invincibility came off. I was racing at Muncie and was going after the win. And about 40 miles into the bike, I decided to do something I've never done before and throw my water bottle off to the left between other cyclists because the aid station was only on the left. And as I did that, uh, as I threw the bottle across my body, the bike started to wobble and I couldn't recover. And the next thing you know, I went down. Um, The good news is I went down right in front of the ambulance. The bad news is I needed the ambulance. So uh, um, I ended up uh, trying to get back up and get on the bike, but there was something crunchy in my shoulder and I had a feeling it was not right. And what was the uh, what was the what happened basically after that, and and, and maybe talk us through the prognosis. Sure. After that, uh, off to the emergency room. Emergency room doc tells me, "Wow, your clavicle's broken, uh, but they probably won't do surgery on it. You've also broken four ribs. Um, the new protocol is that when you break ribs, now we'd like to keep you in the hospital overnight." My response to the doctor was. I don't mean to offend you, but there's sick people here, and I would like to leave. Yeah. So, <laughs> so um, uh, my family, uh, my wife came to pick me up and actually had them highly medicate me, and I've never had morphine or Valium or anything like that in my life. They gave me all of it at once. So you were pretty happy. And I was pretty happy. It was amazing. Um, so we drove back. Fortunately, I was only uh, about two hours away from home. So we drove back, and this was a Saturday afternoon. Um, the next day I started my recovery protocol. So I started walking the next day, even though I had my, basically I had my elbow bound to my, my arm bound to my chest. I'm very fortunate. I live in a big 10 university community and we have excellent surgeons here for the athletes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and through a friend, we got me into one of the top surgeons here at 8am on Monday morning. And fortunately, Katie suggested I not eat anything. And I get into the surgeon's office the first thing he says to me is, your clavicle's broken in three places. We are going to operate. There was no choice. Mm, wow. <laughs> two places, three pieces, two places. And then he said, and I asked him, well, what about the ribs? And he said, I don't care about the ribs. <laughs> really? So um, because I had an eat and I was very fortunate, I was able to get into surgery that day. So and like most people, it was a 48-hour turnaround. Right. And so uh, you made a point that um, in terms of, you know, Getting, trying to get things sorted, you know, getting the right medical care at the right time was, was critical for you rather than, you know, farting around going, oh, we'll, we'll just wait a day and be sitting on waiting lists and, and waiting a few more days. That was what you, you think it was a really key part to your recovery? I think it was a key part. And I also think a really integral part of my team is my primary care doctor. And he has hit over and over again with me the point that you need to be exposed expected to be treated as a very good athlete and make sure when you meet with physicians you tell them about where you are in your development as an athlete mm-hmm. fortunately the surgeon was a cyclist and i said listen uh i and I, it was really hard it's hard to go in there and say oh by the way i'm this this and this mm-hmm. and i'm going to kona on october 12th and i want to do really well are you on board with this mm-hmm. because he's a cyclist he was on board with it So I was very fortunate. Um, I also learned as part of the surgical process, our bodies are different. I don't know if you guys have been to the hospital lately, Mm. but the wheelchairs are like double the size they used to be. (laughs) (laughs) We're a novelty. (laughs) You know, they're looking at the wheelchair going, do we have anything small enough? 
Yeah. And I had to communicate with both the surgeon and the anesthesiologist that they had talked about blood tests. And I said, listen, you're going to do a blood test and you're going to get the results back and you're going to perhaps do what one of my primary care physicians did once, which is call the oncologist. Yes, mm-hmm. I have a low white blood cell count because I'm an endurance athlete. There's a lot of data now out there about this. And I also happen to have a, a low heart rate and low blood pressure. Yeah. And you need to know this when we go into surgery. Mm-hmm. And I'm, we're very fortunate in Endurance Corner because we have a, a cardiovascular surgeon on the team, Dr. Larry Creswell, who, who writes about all these things. So it really helped set the stage for me to communicate with the physicians when I went in there. It also helped afterwards because... Um, my surgeon was on board, and when I go to the follow-up appointment, the first thing I says, what can I do? And he was great. He's like, you can get on the bike train or ride immediately. I don't care what you do on the bike train or you can go arrow, whatever. Can't be on the road for four weeks. Mm-hmm. You can, he said, I don't want you to start running yet. And, I, and he said, he looked at me, and then he goes, is that a problem for Kona? <laughs> and I said, yes. <laughs> and he said, okay, you can start running now. Two miles easy, every other day, build slowly. Yeah. Great. And, and he said, but you can't swim. And I'm, I'm not going to be flexible on this because your incision has to heal. Yep. And there's nasty stuff in the water. So two weeks before I can get in the water, then a week of kicking. And then starting today, I was able to start uh, freestyle stro- free stroke work. Early on, though, you you were saying that you know the, your movement was critical, and you actually learnt something from your sister, who maybe I think suffered from cancer. That getting moving early on was was a key part again to the walking. Yeah, just not yeah. Just, uh, not get bogged down too much. It was you know I had one sister in a bad car wreck with a bad concussion, and for whatever reason, as soon as she was in the hospital, she started walking, and her recovery was remarkable. Um, she still couldn't remember anything, but her recovery was great. <laughs> and my other sister had breast cancer, and she went to work every day throughout her treatment and also um, walked every day or exercised every day. And that had a huge effect. So after watching them kind of model this good behavior, I immediately started walking. And if you follow me on Twitter, I always joke about the tyranny of the Fitbit because everyone in my family has a Fitbit except for me. But I found myself, I started to like under my breath, ask him how many steps we walked. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I found that I started walking one to two hours a day since my accident. And I usually would do it in 20 minute blocks. And I think it really helped. It helped two coming off. We we had this addiction with endurance exercise and we are used to uh, the serotonin and everything that makes us feel good. And all of a sudden, you go into this huge taper. Uh, the training fatigue, everything starts to get released, and you need to do something to kind of pare that down. And I think walking really helped that. Well, I also imagine just for the mental relief as well, you know, just to that emotional outlet, being outside and exercise again is probably pretty healthy as well. Absolutely, because we're used to being in nature in the sun and yeah. enjoying the weather. And so that really helped too. And, and as I mentioned on my blog, my little dog hates me now and I think it wants its own Fitbit. 
<laughs> nice. And I know from, from my experience, when I crashed um, around Christmas time, again, like you said, in terms of the movement, I tried to get back on the bike as soon as I could. And it wasn't really very constructive training. I wasn't improving my fitness at all, um, but really trying to minimise the losses and actually just get those um, wounded limbs back in action. So what, what was Abs- you... Absolutely. And, and Marilyn Chichota coaches me. And she was really good about, as soon as the accident happened, the first thing she said to me was, I've broken a rib every year I've been on the bike. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, which was great. So get on the bike. It's going to hurt. That's what we do. And so in terms of having a plan, you obviously talked through um, things with your your surgeon in terms of, um, you know, your you come back um, and, and what you can and can't do. Um, what else did you do in terms of your planning, I guess, at those early stages to make sure that you could, um, you know, get through the situation as best as you could? Well, I, we really came up with a solid plan into what I needed to be doing. The other thing I asked for, by the way, I forgot to mention, is I also asked for an e-stim machine. Um, and what that does is that enables you to uh, prevent atrophy in the muscles you're not using specifically the ones I use for swimming. Mm -hmm. So I laid out this plan where we have every day I have my triathlon-related workouts. I have my physical therapy stretching weight workouts. I have my physical therapy strength workouts. I have my walking. And then I have an hour of Easton every day. So uh, needless to say, I want to just go back to full-time training because I'd had about 28 hours of activity last week to get to recover mm-hmm. and it's I do a lot less hours when I'm actually training mm. so um, so it takes a lot of organization and, and I really advocate people using a log for all this because you really need to see what you're doing what's working and if something goes wrong like one of the risks with clavicle recovery is tendonitis in your shoulder mm. yep. your physical therapist your coach your colleagues they need to know what's going on so that if we have to change something in the recovery we can do that so, so having that log really, I think, makes a big difference so that everybody is on board and tracking it. It is one of those things, you know, like, like you're a real example of the keenness of our sport. And, uh, and it seems like you've taken a pretty wise path back to, you know, getting back to your best as fast as possible in a way that's not too stupid. But it, 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 it is one of the problems for athletes who do our sport is that they don't do the wise path. And if anything, they end up damaging themselves in ways that have a long-term effect that's, you know, a lot more negative than what it could have been. Oh, absolutely. And both the doctor and PT didn't believe me when I said, I will do exactly what you tell me and no more. Yeah. Because they've dealt with triathletes who end up hurting themselves further. Well, you and know, there's that, that or the denial thing, isn't it? It's either deny it before, you know, like, or, or then you keep going or pushing too hard too early. Absolutely. And I, I don't know about you, but I've noticed that when tri- triathletes get injured, they tend to do one of two things. They just shut down, number one, and drink beer and eat ice cream. Yeah. Or the second thing they do is, like you said, denial. Well, you know, you know, all the amazing people push the edge the whole time, and I'm going to do the same thing. Yeah. And it doesn't work. So it's just like training. It's the not glamorous stuff that I believe gets you better and helps you recover, and it's doing it day in and day out. Mm-hmm. One, um, one area that we've always got to be careful of when um, you're not necessarily doing 
quite as much endurance training. You know, you, as you said, you did you did a huge amount of um, an activity, or you logged a lot of hours of rehab work last week. But it certainly, I'd imagine, it was nowhere near as intense, or, or the training load was not as high. Um, on your body and so we're not burning up as much energy so nutrition wise uh, I'd imagine you um, by the sounds of it you, you know you're a pretty good planner did you have to change your nutrition significantly well I did and I decided that because I couldn't focus on the training part as much that I would start to explore the nutrition part a little bit more so I met with a, a nutritionist and uh, because I was I'm working on some things for Kona anyway, so I thought it was a good time to do that. So I just started tracking my nutrition for the nutritionist. And it was really helpful because right now I have to reduce my calorie intake. So I just made my diet very clean, organic, easy, and um, I'm monitoring it that way. And I'm also learning some new things while I'm recovering that I think I can apply when my training returns back to its normal quality and quantity. Okay, so we're yeah we're not too far away from Kona. I certainly seem to be counting the days down pretty regularly. Um, I guess Minutes. You, what have, what, 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 <laughs> I'm counting by seconds now. Yeah, yeah. What have you, you you sort of learned from this in terms of um, you know uh, lessons you've learned and and how you're going to use I guess maybe potentially use some of the experiences you've had to to make yourself better for Kona um, and and how you sort of how do you feel you're tracking. Uh, I think that it's going to make me even a little bit more patient as an athlete. Uh, and the fact that, you know, you may not be able to train to your typical quality or quantity, but there's still a lot of good things you can do to move forward. So I think that's been very helpful. This will be probably my first, last year I raced a lot right up until Kona. And this year, I've backed out of age group nationals and 70.3 worlds. And I think there could be some benefit from that because the buildup will be entirely focused on Kona, and I'm very well rested at this point. So I'll be able to have a really good uh, specific block before Kona. In fact, I'm going to go to Tucson and train for a week down there too. So um, I also think it's so important who we surround ourselves with. Um, My inner circle doesn't do this. (laughs) sport you know they don't understand that i crashed my why i would get back on my bike after crashing it going 22.6 miles per hour Mm. what they do understand is that it's really important to me and that they know they share the fact that i love it with me and they've kept me positive too so i think part of what i've learned is is just staying positive staying during what i can do today and being happy with what i can do today Nice. Um, so what have we got? Uh, so if people want to follow Sue, you can go to fewoman.com. Um, it's an iron, if, if you yeah. didn't know. Um, not, not, allowed to, not, not allowed to use that dirty word. So yeah. if you ever use that, look out for the lawyers. Um, in, in terms of Endurance Corner, what have we got coming up with Endurance Corner? Well, uh, we've got a bunch of people going to Kona this year, including hopefully Justin. We'll find out soon. Ah. And... and uh, we also we will be having uh, one of our coaching clinics coming up in Boulder this fall winter, and then our huge camp that we do that we just love in February in Tucson. We had a great camp last year, tons of podiums, Kona qualifiers out of that camp. We've already had a lot of interest, and our star Justin Dare will be there to train with us as well. So lots of good stuff ahead. 
Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks for your time, sir, and we look forward to meeting you in person in Kona. Yeah, for um, sure. Oh, along. that'd be great, guys. I would love to meet you. So Yeah, yeah. No, we will, we will, be, we'll be there. I'm there from uh, 30th of September, and Bevan will be there from uh, the 4th, I think. 4th or something like that. Yeah. So, so we'll, we'll catch so do you. So do I just look for two guys with an entourage? Is that? I'll tell you. Just yeah. looks like the president when we arrive. I'll tell you. <laughs> if you see the <laughs> limousines, the, the hit squad. Look for the, the hairiest person uh, in Kona. <laughs> And uh, you'll find me, and Bevan won't be far behind. Based on what I've seen, you will be the hairiest thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's no it's no it's no joke. <laughs> awesome, so thanks for your time. Hey, thank you so much. You guys have a great day. And you, thanks, mate. Bye. It is a strange thing when, you know, or an important thing to kind of recognise is that when we do get crashes leading, you know, like as this is obviously Sue's was pretty severe, but. You know, when we're going towards a big goal, often we we're so emotionally attached that we do become a little bit stupid in how to approach the best path forward. Mm. And it seems like Sue's obviously a pretty kind of got a head screwed on kind of character. Um, but it's an area that a lot of people have to face, don't they? Yep. And so I think the key things that came out of me was, for me, is having a plan, being able to stick to your plan rather than think well, you're out running and you go, oh, maybe I can, maybe I can start cranking. I'm feeling okay today. So having a plan, sticking to your plan, and I think focusing on what you can do rather than focusing on what you can't do. You know, it's obviously frustrating. Sue can't swim for X amount of period, but, you know, very much focused on what she can do. I think so. also the other thing is to deal with the emotion of it because, mm-hmm. like, it is that's the thing about us as a, as a type of person is that we, we make this massive commitment to this goal that is so consuming and, and we are emotionally attached. We create a life around it, don't we? And so we get so emotionally attached to that and then if something pulls out away from us, it can be really hard and so you've got to think about how can I deal with the emotion of this in a really healthy way because it's often that emotion that makes you become quite irrational and gets you doing things that aren't wise so we'll see you still on the start line in uh, 60 odd days hopefully you never have a crash sponsor John extreme endurance go on now now Bevan with my duathlons or not my duathlons the duathlons that Dave and I put on here in Christchurch yep, during winter the JD the JDs um, we have uh, teamed up with Arthritis New Zealand they come along oh, to really? events and they do, try to do a little bit of fundraising and raise awareness and I thought it was quite a good match given that a lot of us are going to have to deal with those sorts of issues uh, further on in life so I thought no you come along and got a little raffle going and hopefully I'm going to win a mountain bike today I a mountain a raffle. bike yeah, yeah. Oh, so that's pretty good got a few tickets in but um in terms of the arthritis thing, obviously a very painful thing for people to be going through. Um, but one thing that you can do to try to ease your things where the only thing you'll lose is pain is to get yourself some extreme joint four. And what that is, is basically it's got four fast acting ingredients for joint health. It comes in a capsule form, format and it's a scientifically based formula of four proven ingredients that, that support the nutrition of joint synovial fluid cartilage and connective tissues the world renowned formula is extremely effective in easing joint discomfort and reducing inflammation so basically you know if, you, if you're somebody who is suffering from uh, from joint pain then this is definitely worth a crack it's only um, between 29.50 and 31.50 depending if you go for the recurring delivery or not and if you use the, I, the promo code IMTALK5 you get five bucks off your order and 
make your life ease the pain, Bevan. Ease well, so, the pain. Uh, let's be honest, it's particularly important for the ageing athlete. Mm-hmm. You know, the joints do get a bit tired as we age, and especially for people who have done a lot of running. Um, so, you know, this type of supplement could be a really nice thing to just kind of help you you know, keep moving in a really in the way you like to move, but also look after your joints as a part of it. So check exactly. it out. Check it out. Xendurance.com. Extreme Joint 4. Okay, Jombo. So we're going to do Coach's Corner. So Rod Swan. Mm-hmm. Sent through an email. Swain even. Rob Swain, sorry. He's gone. Uh, John, can you some can someone work working a 38-hour week? I like how he works exactly 38 hours. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Uh, shift work, trained for a successful half Ironman on 8 to 10 hours per week. Two swims, two runs, two rides. Maybe this could be a coach's corner. Cannot fit an Ironman build-up, but love the sport and hope to both fill the void and please the family by doing an Olympic and a half each year to stay in the sport. Any tips or opinions would be appreciated. Kia kaha. First thing I'd say is there's quite a few Ironman athletes that, out there that train 10 hours a week and do an Ironman. So I think the key difference is if you're a low-volume athlete. But is that disingenuous? Because it is a, sure, they do, but they also have blocks where they do more than. That's what I was about to say is you still would need to insert the odd long session. So yeah. you might be averaging on a normal week. You might do 8 to 10 hours and get by with that. I'm not saying that's a perfect formula. I'm just saying there's people out there doing yeah. it. Um, but then maybe every second or third weekend you get out for a big juicy you know, long bike ride. So, um, but you're obviously doing a bit more is going to be more beneficial. Yeah. So I'd say that's the first point. Um, there's plenty of Ironman athletes. And I'd say there's even more iron, uh, half Ironman athletes that are surviving on 8 to 10 hours training a week. Um, I think the main thing to focus on if you are someone doing the low volume training for a half, for a half or an Olympic is you've got to make really good use of your time. So I don't really believe in junk miles. You know, if somebody does more volume, I don't believe necessarily that um, there's, there's this huge amounts of junk mileage. Everything's beneficial. Some, some things are more beneficial than others. But if you are very restricted on your time, I think the key thing to get into your program is some intensity. Yeah, so, um, quality. But you've got to do that in a really sensible way. So you can't just go out there and start banging intensity in there. You've got to progressively build it in. Um, but when you are in your main race build-up phase, so you're in the last 10 to 12 weeks, uh, inserting some really good doses of intensity in there can make a really big difference to your training. So I think um, what you need to do is have a really nice periodized plan and work your way backwards from your key event and figure out where you're going to insert your intensity into the program and have a progressive plan to build into it. So what I'm talking about there is, you know, say a classic plan might be, right, you do you know, six weeks of base training where it is more volume-based, technique-based, and then have a bit of a strength block with some intensity in there to prepare yourself for the actual intensity phase of your training so you're not just going from base to just spanking out um, you know, hard reps. So I think you just need to do a bit of research around that and work out a plan to build some intensity if you're on a low-volume program. Your second point there is around shift work. And I've coached plenty of people that do shift work. Sleep is obviously a a real issue, um, depending on what sort of shift work it is. But uh, I I would encourage you not to look at necessarily a seven-day week and figure out how your shift works, whether you might be on a a 10-day cycle, a 15-day cycle, whatever it might be. Um, But rather than just looking at a seven-day calendar week, actually maybe figuring out a 10-day or a 15-day or a 20-day plan that you sort of a template you keep repeating. And so I've done that successfully with some um, sort of higher level elite athletes who 
weekends you know every day is the same doesn't matter if it's a saturday or sunday they're yeah. training they're training basically every day and a 10 day format works really well for them so instead of thinking i've got to do a long ride every every week or every sunday we go for a long ride yeah, you can spread things out a bit more so the way that i did that with some of the elite athletes is we were trying to work on their running and so instead of having a long run every week um every 10th day we'd have a really long run and every fifth day um we'd have a medium long run and we found we we're able to stagger the weeks out um we'll stagger the training out and load it up a lot better and actually fit things in better by working on a 10-day um, template and you may well find that works really well for shift work as well is just coming up with maybe a 15-day plan that you just keep repeating and it might be that you do uh, a long run every yeah, every 10th or 15th day and maybe on the 7th day it's slightly different but just coming up with a format that fits in with life, fits in with your, your work structure um, rather than just always thinking a, a seven-day week. Uh, and yeah, my only two final points I had was to yeah, probably do some research around periodization so you can get that intensity worked into your training at the right time of the season to, to be in peak condition for your races. It doesn't sound like you're going to race hugely. And then finally, you sort of mentioned your family in there, so you wanted to please your family by doing an Olympic and a half each year. Just be smart around the about your race selection, so trying to choose races that are family friendly. If that's a big objective for you, um, not necessarily going for the exact race you want to go for, thinking about a, a race that's suitable, that's also going to be family friendly and spectator friendly. Uh, the only thing I would add to this is, is I'm not sure, like one thing I've learnt more and more in life is the better I can be at time management, the better I can achieve things in my life and for shift workers I always think it's it's a very challenging life you live because sleep patterns routines a really hard thing you know all mm. those types of things and so I'm sure John I'm not sure how long you've done uh, Rod sorry how long you've done what you've done done so you may have some structure around your shift work life but I find you know like once I learned really great time management I just suddenly realized how much I used to waste time and I wasn't that effective with my time and so even little things like if I can become better at time management then it's not just that I can get a quality eight hours to ten hours training in a week it's that actually I can get better quality time to my family so then when um, you know, I might want to do a training weekend. They're more forgiving of me doing those types of things, and mm-hmm. um, and also just that energy management. Because shift work is one thing that you hear from them is their sleep patterns always really struggle. Totally. So if you are someone who's in that shift working life, and you are someone who is affected by the sleep pattern, you know, when you plan your weeks, plan your weeks around where you know you're not going to be so tired, so you can get quality work in. Because the stuff John's talking about, you know, the intensity stuff comes with a much harder mental effort and mm. if we go into those sessions tired we just don't perform that well totally and uh and so just if anything on top of that is if you haven't done you know if you haven't really developed yourself in your time management maybe it's worth doing some of that stuff and the great book is uh what is it david allen's getting things done it's always a good place to start so check that yeah out. i'm coaching a doctor at the er doctor at the moment and you know she'll have night shift every few weeks and it's like you're not going to get effective training yeah. done that period. So we just focus on slightly more aerobic technique based. And then when she's got her days off, that's when we hit it a bit harder. So yeah. awesome. Good luck, Rod. Um, okay, we're going to get the world champion. I'm an world champion two times. Yes. Yes, maybe three times this year. Rinny. Rinda Carfrey. Yes, she is. is right that, now. Are you sure on that two times? I mean, I know she's won it twice. Has she won it three times? Don't want to get it wrong. I'm not actually sure, to be honest. I'm yes. not. Are, are you, you sure? Know this. Are you sure? No, I'm not sure. She's definitely won it twice. Yeah. 
Has she won it more? She's the the, the current rote champion. Well, now we as have well. to find out. Wait a second, you talk so about something. she she ran one rote and she had a nice time. It was a very hot day in rote. Apparently, she from off the top of my head, she ran a two fifty three. I think she went eight thirty eight. So legend, and we, I want to find out because Richard Swan wants to find out as well what she can potentially run for a fresh marathon. Okay, let's make our prediction now. What she'll say. I think she'll say, I think she'll lowball it. I reckon she'll say two thirty five to two forty something like that, or two. I think maybe she'll even say two thirty eight thirty. Oh, you reckon? Yeah, I'm gonna say she's gonna say about two thirty five. Okay, uh, she's won it twice. twice. So we won two thousand thirteen, and then she also won it in two thousand ten. Yes. So it was her, then Christy, then Leander, then her. Yes. Okay, um, and she's got second twice as well. Nice. So there you go, and third once. Good. So I'm just full of facts today. <laughs> <laughs> Here's Miranda Caffrey. <laughs> Righty-ho, on um, today's show we have uh, multiple world champion Marinda Carfrey, fresh off a victory in Rote and probably fresh off watching um, Ironman Boulder t- or yesterday, I'd imagine. Um, welcome back to the show, Rennie. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, did you get out there and see a bit of the Boulder course? I did. I um, You couldn't actually get down to the swim start uh, without um, going downtown and getting a shuttle. They kind of locked that down, so... Uh, I ended up just going for my own morning run and then um, headed over to Joe Gamble's place and we went and watched them come back in on the bike and then hopped on our cruiser bikes and head downtown to watch most of the run. So, yeah, it was it was fun to spectate for a change. Nice. Um, and I'm keen to talk a bit about Roth, Roth not Roth, 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 Roth however yeah, you want to say it. I guess first thing is, is um, what was the motivation to go over there and do it? We know it's a great race. Was it, and, and it, is it a bit of a change for you in terms of how your season sort of pans out? So was it a hard decision? Was it something you just wanted to do? Or was there any particular motivation to get over there? Yeah, I think uh, just after winning Kona last year, like two days later, I was sitting with... Um, my manager, or one of my managers, Wendy Ingram, and my husband, and we we're just having sort of some filthy wings and <laughs> some yeah. beers. And um, I think it was probably more than two days, probably a couple of days after. And I just said, you know, how about we do Roth next year? Yeah. Um, just because, uh, you know, I'd heard so many great things about the race. It's one of those bucket list races, really, uh, must do events. And I figured, you know, after winning this world title, I know that, you know, I have that clause where. I only need to validate to qualify for Kona so I don't have to worry about points. Um, and I was in a great position to go and do some different races and not have to sort of um, worry about jumping through too many hoops to try and get back to Kona the next year. And also after winning a world title, um, I think um, your schedule's very much thrown up in the air just because there are, you know, there are new um, sponsorship opportunities. There's there's just new general opportunities um, coming from that world title. So the next year you're kind of just busy with extra media, extra mm-hmm. appearances, extra travel. And I knew my usual schedule would kind of be thrown out the window anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so I figured I'd completely overhaul um, my, my schedule that I uh, kind of tried to stick to the last for the last five years uh, for a mental break as much as um, also knowing that it was going to be tough to follow it follow it anyway so yeah a couple of reasons but I guess the overwhelming or the main one was that I just wanted to be able to compete in Roth while I was still you know competitive enough for you know to contend for the title there. 
Did you? Um, I saw a comment from Andrew Messick in the the media a little while ago, sort of you know alluding to I think you just doing your validation for Kona, and I think um, and Pete Jacobs obviously did that in Switzerland. I think it was. Um, has there been any any communication from you from WTC about um, about you know just tootling around the course and just ticking the box? Um, I'm yeah. I uh, I was actually at a meeting with. Um, the WTC, Bessick and a couple of the other people the day before they made those announcements, the new mm. announcements. And, yeah, they, um, they're they not <laughs> pleased with the way Pete Jacobs <laughs> finished um, Switzerland, but I kind of feel that, you know, that was his right to be mm-hmm. able to, um, you know, get get that um, Ironman finished and, and validate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they might be changing the wording so that you have to be uh, more competitive to validate, um, but I mean, I, I I found that that was the best way for me to to that, to qualify for Kona to go and do Kona uh, in finish in Florida. They actually weren't upset with the way I went about it um, yeah. because my time was about nine thirty. But again, yeah. that was a pretty fast Ironman, and yeah. uh, I still, you know, I certainly wasn't trying to go fast. I just was trying to tick the box. So yeah. um, I'm in kind of mixed feelings about how. Uh, they feel about how we've um, we've validated. I think you know, as a past champion, it's almost your right to be able to come back to Kona and defend. And I think most mm. people want to see the champions back in their best possible form. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't 100% agree uh, that that validation rules stay there, but um, it's something that I guess some other athletes have pushed for. Mm. Um, and you know, it's it's there at the moment, and I, I don't know if it'll go away. Cool. So. Ha- What's your sort of gut feeling as to the impact you know doing rote is going to have on your Kona build up? And did you prepare? Obviously, you you went really fast in rote, um, but did you fully hundred percent prepare for that race, or it was sort of a building block towards Kona? You know, I I don't really know how <laughs> yeah. how it'll go because uh, yeah, as you know, I've never done a season full distance. Um, I've always done either Florida or not any at all or, um, you know, either New Zealand or Melbourne. So this whole year has been completely different to what I, you know, my tried and true um, preparation. That being said, though, um, I feel that Roth was a great indication that I'm in really good shape at this time of the year. Um, And now, you know, I still have my Kona block of training uh, to go. So, I I mean, time will tell um, whether that takes anything away from my ability to race well in Kona. you know, it remains to be seen. But for me, after winning last year, it was worth it to just have a little bit of a mental mm. break from just focusing every single waking hour on Kona. I just needed to um, step away from that and go and just enjoy some other events and, um, yeah, just, uh, you know, do that bucket list race. And, you know, I did a couple of other races that aren't usually in my schedule either. So, you know, that's not to say that I, I don't want to do well in Kona again this year because, I, you know, obviously I – you know, from now until Kona and most of the year I still have been thinking about Kona a lot, but um, I just needed to step away from that same plan that I've been following for five years. So your rote day, was it, um, did it pretty much go all to plan? I mean, you ran Joycey down there on the run and put in a pretty fine um, run split. I know it was pretty pretty hot on the run, at least it was for when the age groupers were out there. It might not have been, I'm not sure how hot it was for you, but did it pretty much um, go to plan for you and any particular highlights of the day for you? Yeah, it absolutely went to plan. I actually 
definitely exceeded my expectations. Um, going into that race, I didn't feel that I was giving myself the best opportunity. You know, after Kona, I said, I want to do well in Roth. I want to be fit. I want to be strong. I want to like try and win that race. But then, you know, we got married. We had um, January honeymoon. Um, we're getting fit a lot later than usual. And then, you know, the extra commitments that I mentioned earlier. Um, so I was kind of a very busy couple of months. I really only got um, May, June training blocks in, but that was even interrupted, you know, mm. just by, you know, extra um, appearances and, and so forth. So I was kind of going into it a little nervous and I certainly didn't expect to race at that level. Um, mm. Definitely pleasantly surprised yeah. um, that I was able to, um, have such a great performance. But again, like I really didn't know what to expect because at, in July I'm always doing a half and yes, I'm in, usually in pretty great shape, usually in better shape mm. because I've started my training block earlier and, you know, I've, I've made a few steps through the year already. But uh, uh, this year was just completely different. Um, and yeah, I'm, I've never done a mid, well, I guess I've never really done a full distance in great shape outside of Kona yeah. because Doing Florida, I never really raced that one properly. And then I think Melbourne and New Zealand were a little bit early for me because I do like to take um, my sweet time in that off-season. Nice. So, um, yeah, I was really pleasantly surprised. Um, you know, the whole race was awesome. Uh, yeah. I, I didn't know you could ever have so much fun doing a long-course triathlon. So it was awesome to have uh, great support out there on the course. Um, it went by really fast. Which is always nice, yeah. Um, but it was it was hot. I, I was hot on the bike, which I mean, I race well on the heat, and when you feel the heat on the bike, you kind of know you're in for a rough one on the run there. And yeah, yeah, I mean, certainly, I think the hottest part of the day was probably you know our last uh, last hour on the bike and through our marathon, and then on to you know obviously the age groupers. Yeah. But I think uh, a, a storm rolled in later in the afternoon, so. Uh, that I think helps a few people, but it seems in general the times were, you know, a fair bit slower than they have been in um, previous years. So do you, how, how knocked about do you get after an iron distance race? Like I know for a lot of the age groupers who don't race quite so much, you know, when you finish an Ironman, you're just wiped to pieces for, um, you know, in terms of you know, the muscular damage, but you guys, you know, do a lot more training. You know, how smoked are you after a race? Yeah, um, after Kona, completely smoked. Like yeah. that race takes every ounce of your being to, you know, to get to that finish line and you em completely empty the tank. In Roth, um, I think just because given the fact that the usually it's cooler conditions, but, you know, mm. it was warmer, so that <laughs> didn't help for recovery. Um, but the, given the fact that uh, most of the runs on sort of um, like a hard-packed dirt yeah. trail, yeah. Uh, that definitely helps recovery you're not your legs aren't taking it near as much beating as they would if you're running on the road or you know on, on concrete like uh the, mar uh the marathon was here yesterday in boulder yeah so yeah i think that is an absolute is massive when it comes to uh recovery um yeah i mean i was pretty beat up for a week after roth and i really wanted to make sure i respected the recovery time and you know as i said i'm just really starting my kona block now and i'm two weeks post roth so yeah I took a solid two weeks to, to properly recover and not really push anything at all. And yeah, hopefully now I'm I'm ready to go. But um, I mean, I, I don't I don't really know um, because I've never I've never put this program together this way before. So mm. hopefully we're ready to go again. <laughs> 
So um, in terms of your, your Kona prep, um, you ha- how long do you arrive in Kona before your race? I always go in uh, two weeks out. I go in on the Friday two weeks out just because I like to have um, a weekend of, you know, decent volume on the course, in the heat, um, you know, before I really start to taper down. Uh, and then, you know, I think it, I believe it takes or the number that's kind of thrown around a lot is 10 days mm-hmm. to adjust to the different, you know, the humidity and the heat there. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, yeah, two weeks has worked. It worked the first year. So I did it the second year. It worked again. So, I mean, that's kind of the, the plan that I've, that's worked for me. And I think everyone's different, but two weeks is my magic number. So a lot of people are, are mesmerized by how fast you can run. You know, you've obviously got the course record over there on the run and, and pretty much wherever you go, you absolutely drill it on the run. Um, what are some of your key run workouts, you know, in terms of, you know, say your, your Ironman prep or your, your Kona prep, you know, what are some of the, you know, the, the workouts that you really use as a good marker and, and what sort of pace do you do those at? Uh, I do, you know, probably one run on the treadmill a week, uh, and that's kind of just been, you know, throughout my career. I think that's um, really enabled me to have a higher cadence, which I think is key for when you're getting fatigued and um, later in the marathon. So, yeah, I, I use a treadmill once a week and then um, also do a lot of build runs. So I might do 20K out on the roads or on a trail, um, preferably like a 5K loop. Yeah. And I'll just sort of, you know, start off 5K easy, then I'll do 5K Ironman, 5K half Ironman, and then 5K flat out. And uh, I think that's so relevant to, you know, what we're doing. Um, yeah. It's trying to finish strong. Um, negative split runs are obviously also very good. But, uh, yeah, those probably are the two main, you know, run workouts that, that have enabled me to be able to run the way I do. But I think the main thing is consistency. I've been mm-hmm. fortunate enough that I haven't had an injury in my whole career. Mm. So I've never had to take time off of running. Um, and so that's like 13 years of consistent triathlon training and, and running. So uh, I think that that's the, the main reason I'm able to run the way I do. Interestingly, I had, uh, it might've been last week or the week before, um, Bevan was asking me, oh, what do you think Marinda could run for a fresh marathon? And I said, uh, well, you know, I know what I can run. I run my when I trained up for a marathon. I did two thirty-eight, and I'm thinking, well, she's faster than me. Um, and I sort of put a, a low two thirties out there for you. Have you ever run a fresh marathon? And if you were to do one, have you got any idea in your mind what you think you'd be able to run? Um, I guess the short answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've never done one, and I don't know, you know, what I'd run. I wasn't a runner before I was a triathlete, so. Mm. I've always just been focused on running off the bike and I really, I did one half marathon very early in my career in like maybe 2001 on the Gold Coast and ran like a 121. Um, That was still when I was like, like learning, I mean, again, I was a basketball player. I never, like that was a long run for me. Um, So, I mean, I'd like to hope that I I could run in the low, you know, 230s and um, I'd actually like to properly prepare for a marathon and, and do it at some point but at this point in my career you know I've finally made it sort of to the top of the tree so to speak in triathlon in the triathlon world and I'm finally getting paid yeah so you know it'd kind of be silly for me to you know try and focus on doing a marathon no one's going to pay me to do that and yeah um, in order to race well I'd you know I want to lose a little muscle and yeah. um 
stop riding the bike. So, you know, maybe in a few years, um, you know, if I feel that I've gotten the best I could, I could get in, in Ironman racing, then I'd, I'd like to give it a crack. But uh, I don't know. We'll see. I guess in the final question was you talked about a lot of the commitments you've got around media stuff and you're obviously doing some right now. Um, do you guys um, disconnect yourself from the tri-media much or are you sitting there reading magazines? You know, Macca was always a great one for getting out there and reading everything and listening to everything. Like, do you guys um, get into the tri-media and if you do, what do you sort of um, read and listen to and things like that? Uh, I mean, we get the triathlon magazines, but honestly we don't really read them unless there's... Uh, uh, you know, an, an article or an extended article on a particular athlete that we might be interested in learning mm. more about. But mm. um, I mostly just look at the pictures. <laughs> nice. And then, um, you know, I, I don't really – I sometimes look on Slow Twitch, but um, yeah. honestly, for the most part, I get my um, – I keep up to date just on Twitter. Yeah. So I'm, I'm constantly on Twitter and I kind of – I always know what, you know, the hot topic of the day or the week is because, um, you know, triathletes like to speak their minds and so you kind of get the gist of what's going on and and if there's a link or something I, I'm interested in, I'll go and read it. But, um, yeah, I mean, I guess closer to Kona, uh, we try to shut down a little bit and mm. focus on ourselves, but it's almost impossible. Mm. Um, and actually, I, I kind of like... I like to hear it when hear when people write me off or tell me I can't do things. So yeah, um, yeah, I, I kind of like reading stuff like that and gets the fire going in the belly. <laughs> Good. And how's the uh, how's the better half um, tracking for Kona as well? Yeah, he's doing really well. He's Mark, uh, working with Mark Allen this year, and uh, so it's a complete. You know, who's with Cliff English for about eight years, and he needed a bit of a mental break and a, a change. Um, and yeah, he's he's really happy. He's he's not done an Ironman event this year. He did uh, Ironman Florida to validate because he had enough points from uh, Vegas and Kona. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of attacking the year a little different and trying to see if he can crack the code in Kona. And I mean, I I think he's on great uh, on great track, but yeah. it's all about getting it right on the day. And um, yeah, it's going to be a tough one. Cool. As, um, in terms of um, any promo you've got, have you, are you up to anything? Any, anything that's coming up that people can follow you on or any sponsorship news or anything like that? Probably, but I'm hopeless at remembering on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm, I mean, I've, I'm on Twitter and I'm on Instagram. If there's anything exciting, I'll, I'll definitely you know, be posting on there and I, we'll probably run a competition into Kona for sure cool. um, on Facebook and Instagram. So. Awesome. If people want to win prizes, they should follow me. Awesome. Okay, we'll have a link for um, for, for Rennie's Twitter and uh, websites, etc. on our show notes. Um, you can check it out on imtalk.me. But we'll look forward to um, seeing you over in Kona. I'll be over there a couple of weeks before as well, so I might bump into you and uh, see if I can keep up for a quick run. Awesome. Sounds great, John. Take cool. Care. Thanks for your time. Okay, so we've actually we're, John's doing the interview later on today for us, so you guys would have heard it, but we haven't actually done it. So I'm sure it was a great interview, Jonbo. Love is. your work. Okay, it's sponsor. A, it's all all eyes now. It's all leading towards Kona, Bevan. It's product all, 52, John. Product, product 52. 52. <laughs> I think it's Zimbabwe. Kona Nightingale, a European roast, adds character to the fragrant wine and fruit toned bouquet of this 100% Kona coffee. Do you know what you do? What do you do, Bevan? You have friends who are for dinner, you have friends who are for dinner, yeah, occasionally. So you have friends who are for dinner, and you do, oh, I'm, I'm, this is evolving as I'm thinking about yes. it, John, 
because you, you do what you, you have your dinner, yeah, a few wines, yeah. And if it's you know sophisticated like you and I are, yeah, you know it's about conversation, isn't it? It's not it about is. getting off your face, no. And uh, so you have a wine, maybe a dessert, yeah. Then afterwards you might have a few wines and stuff, yes. But then about you know ten o'clock you put the coffees of Hawaii on, yes. And people have that late night coffee if you what dark chocolate mint, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, bit of that, bit of coffees of Hawaii. And if they still want to drink, what was it Irish coffee? Yes, is there a bit of yeah, Bailey's? Bit of Bailey's in there, yeah. And I tell you what, people are going to leave your house going. It was a great night, mm, especially once you start just doing the beans in the background, because you're doing you're using the senses to a high level, John. Oh my goodness, you, you are. You're getting the noses and they're like, yeah. mm, oh, 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 what's that smell? Yeah. Oh, it's and, coffees of white. And also, you, you know, you actually want them to leave about now, so it's dropping. Yeah. The, yeah. It's getting to the end of the night. Wrap it up. <laughs> Have you ever had the friend who just doesn't know when to leave? Yeah, I generally go put my pajamas on. That's a pretty good hint. <laughs> pretty good hint. Yeah, no, I've, I've Gordo. You guys said Gordo was that guy. He, he made it very clear from the outset that he was that guy when he was tra- in Hong Kong and he was training. He'd go, he'd invite people after dinner. Okay, guys, I'm off to bed. You guys stay down here. And we <laughs> <laughs> but he made it very clear. It wasn't being rude. Yeah. He made it clear from the outset. Come around for dinner, but I am going to bed at nine o'clock. Really? The old friend who hangs around. I used to have a mate who used to hang around when I was a real young man. And you know, like like three hours late, you know, and uh, and I drop hints. Maybe maybe you know, mum 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 dad want to go to bed now. Yeah, <laughs> they never really got the hint. Righty ho. So get some of the coffees. Invite your friends around and look classy with coffees of Hawaii. And then you could talk about coffees of Hawaii. And this is a great thing because let's be honest. Oh, I mean, do you ever get a friend that keeps on going as well? No, no, oh, they're the best friends. Yeah. <laughs> they are the ones you want in your life. <laughs> No, but what you can do is because then you can talk about coffees of Hawaii, which yeah. leads into you talking about Iron Man. And then you go to iamtalk.me and the promo code's just sitting there waiting for you. Love your work. Ah, the insults, eh? I love it. <laughs> Here we go. Sponsors are? Coffeesofhawaii.com. Uh, get your friends over. Uh, Athlinks.com. Stalk. And Extreme Endurance. To look after those joints. Okay, guys. Uh, Jumbo, what's your goss? Well, I am going to be on the plane in a couple of days to Canada and I'm pretty bloody pumped about it. How long does it take you to get there? What, what, what route do you go? LA? We'll go Auckland, no, straight to Vancouver, so it's actually pretty bloody good. Oh. I can actually know how long the flight is. We fly up to Auckland. We, we know the first thing we do is we hit the Coro Club in Christchurch, <laughs> get a bit of a warm up on. I think a flight's about four. Do you o'clock. eat silly? Do you go silly when you're in the Coro Club? I'm going to have to be pretty controlled. Yeah. Hit the Coro Club in Christchurch. Camp? Yeah, I know. Um, and then we go up to Auckland, about an hour and a half flight, hour 20 flight. Go, do you have much of a layover in Auckland? Because you can go We've got, got enough We've got enough layover to hit the Coro Club in Auckland. Had the Coro Club in Auckland, much better standard when you go into National yeah, Coro Club. Yeah, nice. Is, yeah. And then uh, straight flight. I think it's I think it's maybe 15-hour flight. Something oh, like that's that. a big flight then. It is a big flight. I yeah. think it's as far as you can go. Yeah, because it's normally about as the max, isn't it? Yes. Who are you flying on? In New Zealand. What are you doing? You're checking your phone. I'm, I'm checking how long it's going to take me. Oh, in New Zealand's a great flying. Yeah. You really are. And that's just not New Zealanders being biased. I really think you New Zealand have one of the best services. 13 hours and 15 minutes. Yeah, okay. that's not too bad. A few movies. A few movies, bit of pop a pill, go to sleep. Oh, you take a pill, do you? Hell yeah. You knock draggy. you out. I like, I, like, I like flying. Not for 13 and a half hours, you no, know? No, I don't mind. It's the one time in life you stop and you can just sit and watch movies. Yeah, not you for 13 know? hours. And then, someone, then suddenly someone turns up and gives you food. Yeah. It's, it's a luxury life. So looking forward to that. It is going to be awesome. We will be pumping out a podcast um, from just before we start the camp and then I'm going to I always say this I'm going to try to do some interviews <laughs> in camp it ain't happening but we're going to try but we will I'm have a pod, we will have a podcast coming out mid camp where I'll basically hand the mic over and Bevan can talk to people I imagine if I went on Epic Camp nowadays 
and and because I used to work quite a bit on those camps doing those interviews, yeah. and uh, I would it would be such a struggle because mm. I would die on the camp. Mm. Like I would be one of the backer packers nowadays. Not quite, but yeah. No, I would be. Like mm. even I haven't been a bike in six five years. It'd come back pretty quick. Hopefully, Kevin, <laughs> what's happening in your world? Um, John, that book must be coming out soon, mustn't it? Uh, actually. You know what? You guys will be hearing about it. Don't worry yeah. about that. Don't worry about that. Yeah. And because uh, it's a great book. Um, no, first night of the band open mic night last night, John. Are we talking last night? Uh, as in the, right. next week. So it actually hasn't happened in this world. Yeah. yeah. But I'm going to imagine what happened. Yeah. We turned up. You froze. No, I should know. We <laughs> delivered, John. We delivered. Where are you playing? Um, I think it's called Alvarado's. I don't know. I'm not in the music scene. Okay. You know, like it's just. Alvarado's a Mexican restaurant. Oh, maybe it is. I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I really, maybe we're going to put fake moustaches on. Yeah. Have the big hats and yeah. wow. <laughs> and uh, so, but we've got the first, yeah, we've, we've got two songs. You only play two songs. Yeah. Which kind of sucks, but we've got two songs we're going to play. And um, and that's, yeah, so pretty excited about that. We've probably played 10 people. Nice. I'm predicting maybe 10. What day of the week? Monday night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> open my night. Yeah. But we've just got to do it, and then the next aim is to start recording. So we're gonna we'll go back and write some more songs. We've got a gig sorted out for a few months where we're going to be playing a whole gig. So you've got to get Joe's coming along to watch, obviously. No, I'm telling nobody. I'm like first time up. I'm, not, I'm like in areas you, I'm confident in life. I'll tell the whole world about. In areas I'm not confident in, but I Joe, wait. Joe, we're going. Won't no, she? no, she, no. I'm not telling. She's not going. Yeah. No, not yet. Not. <laughs> she's finding out about this, and we're getting some oh, video no. evidence. She, 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 she knows I'm going, but I said, don't come yet, but wait till we're good. Uh, I want video evidence. No. She can do a little YouTube clip no, on the no. iPhone. Well, I, don't show bad quality until you're good quality. Because then but other people will go, show your improvements. then people will go, oh, that's pretty crap. Well, they'll never give you a second I chance. I genuinely would have come if I'd been here just to oh, get some I'm video sure evidence. You I'm sure you I would have. Front row doing yeah. a Mexican way. Pickling. I'd be throwing tomatoes at you. <laughs> The, the thing is, right, Andy's on the side, pull my jocks off, <laughs> yeah, throw them on the oh, stage. Oh, hit me in the face. <laughs> the thing is, I'm lucky that the guys in my band, are, like my guitarist and drummer, they're amazing musicians. Like, mm. you know, my guitarist, he's a rock star and, and, and the drummer's really amazing as well. The guitarist is a singer and he's new to singing, but he, he, can, he can sing, which is great. I'm definitely the weak link. Mm. So I've just, I've, I've got my path, I've practiced it like crazy. I'm just going to go out there, do my thing. I've got him to look interesting. That's the only thing, because when I'm on the piano right now, I'm very much just kind of concentrating. Right. So I've got to be kind of a bit of moving. Get Stevie Wonder head going. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just come. That's a great song. That is a great song. So there you go. So band's happening, team. Band and book. Wicked. Let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Mendo. Train hard. Train smart. Kikaha. Maybe a couple of years entertainment at Kona. Couple of years. Yeah. World tour. Stop off. Do the entertainment the, the award ceremony. Someone spike his drink in Kona and we'll get him up on doing stuff. Yeah, that's right. Game on. Right. See you guys next week. <laughs>